it's first John. I mean, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I cannot say I hate and treat my brother this way, like treat my brother this way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love God. You see what I'm saying? That, that is, you're trying to separate the two. No, the tangible has to go with the spirit. The spiritual goes with the tangible. Mm -hmm. And we've allowed that. But what I'm saying is a lot of people don't know that subconsciously the bedrock of their belief system came during a time when the Puritans and the colonists were trafficking people and they, you have to create another gospel. And people say, well, why do you have to create it? Because you're trying to, you're trying to have shalom when you go to bed. Like the psalmist says, yeah. God sustains me in my sleep. Oh, uh, uh, I'm, I'm actually giving him a bone. I go, <laughs> I don't think somebody can be that dark to traffic and rape people and then sleep at night and say, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm following this thing. No, you have to create a thing to give yourself peace. Mm-hmm. Hey, and welcome back to the All Things All People podcast, a ministry of all things all people and part of the Good Lion podcast network. Go check out goodlion.io and allthingsallpeople.org to find out more about those two awesome ministries. Uh, both I am honored to be a part of. One I started and one in Good Lion that we've just only recently be- become a part of, um, but we're super excited to be a part of that podcast family and would love for you to check that out. Uh, the podcast that you're listening to this episode is phenomenal. Um, I know I'm biased because I'm involved in every single one of them, but I wish I could get you some behind the scenes footage of what it's like interviewing people, what it's like prepping for an interview, what it's like having conversations pre-show and and even post-show because they're all different. You know, the, the research that goes into each one, sometimes I read an entire book to get ready for it. Sometimes I do deep dives um, on people's, you know, social media, on their the things that they've written, the things that they other shows they've been on. Um, and I like to do a lot of research for the show because I feel like our guests really deserve it. But it also helps me feel prepared when I when I sit down to talk to somebody. And I just have to be honest, sitting down and talking to Ad Thomason, uh, our guest for the day and discussing his book that's coming out that he's uh, promoting right now, Permission to be Black, being published through InterVarsity. You know, I was really challenged because most of his book is about his experiences being an African-American Christian in a world of Western Christianity that he says, you know, sometimes he feels like is not necessarily designed or set up for him and certainly wasn't designed or set up by people like him. And, you know, that's challenging for me because I'm a white pastor in a rural part of North Carolina. Um, And even though I'm not from here, I grew up in a particularly affluent suburb outside of uh, Chicago. But, you know, very rarely do I ever talk to somebody on this show where the only thing I really have in common with them is our shared love of Jesus. And, you know, it sort of felt like that talking to AD because his experiences are so vastly different than mine. But it was amazing to hear as I was listening back to the interview and editing and getting it ready for publishing to hear how many times we laughed together. To hear how many times we agreed with each other seemingly at a deep spiritual level. And I really enjoyed talking to AD. One of my favorite conversations I've had, even though it was really challenging for me because it was just, I sort of felt like a, a you know, 
a fish out of water. I sort of felt like, you know, I don't, I don't really feel like I can control this interview because for it to serve the purpose that I felt like it needed to serve in the life of all things, all people in the podcast, it needed to be dictated by his experiences and what he wrote in his book. And I read the book. Um, it was, it was really good. You need to go check it out. Um, I was privileged to get an advanced reader copy from InterVarsity and I'm so thankful to InterVarsity for supplying those things to me. I, I love every chance that I have to have an IVP author on the show and hope that we continue to have more, but you need to go check it out. Um, make sure to go check out, uh, AD's social media and his website that's linked in the show notes. And you can be sure to follow all things, all people at all things, all people on Instagram and at ATAP podcast on Twitter. Um, and be on the lookout for some of the cool things that we're doing coming up in April. We're dropping, um, some, some really, really awesome shirts and sweatshirts that we've been designing. Our creative director, Josh has, has been hard at work getting some awesome merch for you. Some think like a Christian stuff, uh, for you to hopefully provoke some conversations with your friends and family, coworkers, whatnot. But you know, here's the thing. This episode that you're listening to is a great example of why I started this show, because I want people, I want Christians to get used to the idea of talking to people that come from different backgrounds, that think differently, that see things differently, but ultimately share the same mind with their brothers and sisters in Christ because we share the mind of Christ. And that's what you hopefully you're going to hear in this episode. So let me know what you think. Email me at Jeremy at all things, all people with your, with your comments, with your questions. And I'd love to hear more, but until I hear from you, I'm excited for you to hear from AD, our Christian thinker for this week. My next guest is a three-time award-winning filmmaker and co-founder of Three Strand Films. He has taught as an adjunct professor at Kilns College, College, where he taught on the history of human rights and justice and decolonizing your faith, filmmaking, and more. A native of Detroit who now lives in Atlanta, he has spoken and lectured in over 15 countries and written multiple books, including one that is coming out February 23rd or tomorrow, if you're listening when this episode goes live with InterVarsity Press. The book is called Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus. I'm so excited to have on the show today, A.D. Adam Lunkile Thomason. Uh, hey. Adam, dude, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so I was telling you pre-show, um, and I think I posted on it a social media. I can't keep up anymore, but um, I was privileged to get a reader copy from InterVarsity of the book and um, you know, started leafing through it and right away just thought, you know, uh, this is the type of conversation I want to have. This seems like the type of guy that I want to have that conversation with. And so mm-hmm. first off, before we even tell the listeners what the book's about, I just want to tell you, I thought it was awesome. Um, oh, and I, I hope that the process of writing it and now uh, doing the publicity for it has been, it, you know, somewhat pleasant for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, writing it was, I would say, more fun, so to speak, than the publicity yeah. and getting it out only because you know other people got to touch it they have their perspective things like that yeah uh but you know that's part of working in a team 
Yeah. It seems like, um, you know, right away. So we'll talk about the title. That's one of the biggest things I want to talk to you about, because yeah. that's what caught my eye. You don't <laughs> often see, you know, Jay-Z and Jesus mentioned uh, together at all, but but especially not in a book title for a Christian publisher. <laughs> so I was like, OK, we got to do this. But but it seemed honestly, when I was reading the book, it felt like I was having a conversation with you. Mm. Um, and that says a lot about your writing skill. Obviously, you're an extremely talented, creative guy who has his hands in multiple mediums but um it, it, was it just a really personal experience because i felt like i was you know hearing stories from denton texas hearing stories <laughs> from savannah georgia when you were in art yeah. school and mm-hmm. um i mean i was dying laughing about the story <laughs> of the the model when you had to draw uh, a model for the first time so like I, by the end of it i was just like okay i like this guy but was it really was it a really personal adventure for you writing this one yeah, it was, and and I'm glad you you caught that. You know, I always feel like throwing yourself under the bus disarms people. Sure. Yeah. Right, and 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 it takes away the stigma that you're trying to be an expert, which I'm not trying to be. Sure. But people can see they they can't see your motive and your sincerity. So the more you can tell stories about yourself that people can laugh at, they're like, you know what? I like this guy. Let me yeah. hear what he has to say. So. Well, and, and, you know, it was definitely um, self-deprecating, but it was also I mean, <laughs> so poignant too, because like even that story and readers will just have to buy the book. Cause I, I, I mean that the story about you sitting in an art class and having to draw a human <laughs> uh, in an undressed state was, I mean, too much to, for you and I to being hash out. Surprised. Yeah. Like, being, and being surprised <laughs> and like looking around and pretending like, you were fully aware that that was going to happen, but, um, but you know, you were talking, you, you brought it up to basically say like, as, as an African-American and, and, and you, you know, honestly, man, I, I'm almost going to choke on my words a little bit because the way that you described your experience as a person of color in the United States and evangelical mm-hmm. Christianity was so different than I've ever heard mm-hmm. it described. And mm-hmm. I think that was also part of the personal journey that readers are going to go on with you because, you know, you didn't even use some of the same terms that people are used to hearing. And I felt like that was a very beginning in my heart, you know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a white Christian uh, who, you know, has grown up in and around the white church more often than not, or churches that are white. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, but even the funny stories, even the the self-deprecating stories were to teach like you looking around and kind of going, Hey, my entire life has been pretending as if, I know what's going on or like, mm-hmm. I, or pretending like I fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, man, I mean, I just want to start with this one because mm-hmm. this question um, and I heard, I've heard you talk about it and I, and you address it in your writing and in your art, but this, this uh, given name that you have, yeah, right, yeah. AD Lumkile Thomason, I think yeah. that's such an, an integral part to who you are yeah. and really is a great introduction for people who are getting to know you. So what's the background behind Lumkile? Yeah, so the background behind Lukele, it is a Osa word. You know, Osa is spelled X H O S A, and then that click I'm making that is, you know, that's how you that's how they speak it in South Africa. And so I was talking with a guy for six hours. His name is Taba, and we were talking for six hours, and he could not understand why I followed Yeshua you know, Jesus, as yes. some people call him. Yes. And so after, after six hours, I'm trying to explain to him, you know, what I believe he thinks of Jesus. And that's more of a Constantinian, mm-hmm. 
uh, European understanding. It's not the Yeshua from the East. Um, it's not the Yeshua who had disciples from North Africa, zealots, things like that. Mm-hmm. And these a lot of these are a lot of things he hasn't heard. He, he hasn't heard for the first time. And then I get to this this illustration of a of a knife, and I said, uh, uh, you know, a chef's knife can be used for two different things, you know, murder weapon or in the hands of a chef to make beautiful meals. I said, could it be you bowling on the knife as a murder weapon? He was like, true. So we're having this conversation, and then he he just yells out, "Lunkile," mm-hmm. you know, and then also it means the wise one. So he that was his way of honoring me, because in there we talked about, you know, I'm on this journey to find my historical heritage, though, I'm, you know, obviously I'm raised in America. Mm-hmm. I said even my tongue to speak English and to have to force my, say to myself to do these clicks and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. My tongue's colonized. My name's <laughs> colonized. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Adam Thomason, that's a colonized name. Sure. So. He, after he said Lunkile, you know, he said, well, how, how about we help you out and, and Lunkile can stick. And then that's why I started putting like AD, like there's a story behind the whole Adam. Adam David is Adam David Thomason is my government name. But there was a time where I was going to change my name in college. I didn't, you know, but um, so that name kind of honors that situation and it also honors the dna test that i find, mm-hmm. find out that south african is in my history and things mm-hmm. like that so. yeah and it and it really reflects um a lot of what the book and a lot of um you know your work that i've seen is this uh, and it centers around sometimes around decolonization and i think yeah. the world we live in is so loud and so divisive over terms like that and, yeah. and honestly even going into the book you know, uh, as a white Christian, you hear de- or as a white American Christian, you hear decolonization. And I'm like, it, I guess I, and in some circles, it's it, it's viewed as an attack. And it's like yeah. what I hear from you and, and it's reflected in you utilizing Lumkile and and then also just addressing even how you view yourself. But maybe most prominent in how you even refer to Jesus by his uh, Hebrew or Aramaic name, Yeshua, yeah. which, you know, it, is that for you um, to me, like I, when I hear that I'm challenged of kind of going, how much of my faith is colonized? Yeah. You know, like, um, have, have you had much experience with, I mean, not just uh, persons of color, but, but, you know, white Christians and all over the mm-hmm. world kind of realizing, Hey, may, maybe your faith is colonized too, because that wasn't his name necessarily. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad you've seen that, that broadly. It's, it's, it is interesting when people hear the word decolonized, because people associate colony with white, yeah. you know, and only people of color need to de- decolonize their faith. I'm saying, no, the, the yeah. savior we have is a colonial one that has affected mm-hmm. all shades, all grades, all classes. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, it is intentional, man. Like you got to decolonize because in the simplest form, here's what I say to people. If you're so passionate, passionate about the revelation of God, and this mm-hmm. is this is what they teach us in, in messianic understanding yeah. of the scriptures. If you're passionate about the revelation of God, then you have to ask yourself the question through which culture, framework, understanding, language did it come? And was anything arbitrary about that culture? Mm-hmm. And language, and we treat it as if it's arbitrary. We won't say that, but that's how we. Yeah. Nah, you know, Yeshua, Jesus, same thing. Not the same thing. 
<laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like there, there, there's a, there is a, there's a reason why he chose this people group mm-hmm. to bring his revelation through. Yeah. Right. And, and when you put the colonial lens and what, you know, colonial, I'm more like Constantine, people can go before that, but I'm like, yeah, Constantine and going forward, people saw whatever came from Constantine and Rome as Christianity, Christian history, even as we talk about, quote unquote, the church fathers, you're going to laugh when I say this, but rarely when somebody say the church fathers, do they go back before like the Nicene creative, it'll right. be like, you know, like Augustine and Luther yeah. and Calvin and Zwingli. And mm-hmm. I go, wait, 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 the church fathers got to start with Yeshua and the guys from Palestine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just those things that I laugh yeah. at now. I go, how are they not? How are they not the first church? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think if you ask a lot of um, Western Christians and you just said, "Hey, what do you think Augustine looked like?" and you know, they probably have a very um, Anglo-European view. And I'm like, yeah. and he's from North Africa. Like, exactly. we've, lost, we've lost that. You know, and it's like <laughs> some of the most foundational uh theology in the in the church all over the world came from north africa and and yeah Yeah. it's just like it's it's it is sad how um honestly a lot of the stuff that you wrote in the book a lot of stuff that you talk about in in your art and in your speaking Mm. is new to people because it's like and this is uh yeah and 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 honestly like you know as a pastor as as a teacher and preacher like i'm continually trying to get people to understand what we might call background information Mm. and and it sounds like honestly like when you talk about the decolonization of our faith, I mean, it, it, obviously what you're talking about is much wider than just understanding the background, but really uh, to a listener who, who might be, you know, a white Christian, even if, if, especially if you're in America, like when we try and understand the context that the Bible was birthed in and the, the salvation history of all human mankind, like we have to understand, like there was nobody there who looked like me, Yeah, you, you know what I mean? And, 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 southern and and american culture is nowhere to be found in there and so uh, so i mean it's not that that stuff's bad but it's just like we have we can't read that stuff in and that's so much of what i what i appreciate but but also what i really appreciate about you man um and in this book is how you introduce a reader like me (laughs) uh who it's easy to say i'm not as familiar with your culture um you know but it was such a generous introduction for me to your worldview and your perspective mm-hmm. and that starts with the title um my journey with jay-z and jesus so right away i was like all right before i even read the book i gotta figure <laughs> this out and you know and so this whole idea of jay-z and jesus and you said in the book jay-z spoke to my cultural story mm-hmm. uh, god used um him to keep me and many other black men alive until we could appreciate yeshua without other folks cultural baggage mm-hmm. so just kind of jumping off that why yeah. is it and, and you 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 mentioned a, a lot of other hip hop artists and musicians that we'll talk about too but but why yeah. is it that Jay-Z was the center of the focus of this book and men and people like him in uh hip hop culture that were so instrumental in your life yeah um as as my wife would say he is our hip hop rabbi so uh-huh. to speak um <clears throat> you know it's the bigness of Jay-Z it's the street story that he had um you know, I, I would even argue that if Yeshua was taught rightly, 
we may appreciate a Jay-Z for a different reason, but not even the reason that I'm talking about in the book. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I make that point of, you know, being, being in the evangelical church from 17 to 34, I never heard one sermon for, and I, 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 I've sat under tons of pastors, the names, all the names, yeah. friends with them here at the sermon. You were in Denton, Te- you were in Denton, Texas. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I've never heard one sermon, no exaggeration, still to this day. I've never heard one sermon that talks about the intentionality of Yeshua being wrapped in brown skin, Jewish skin. We always talk about the last seven days, right? The Passion Week, the death, burial, and resurrection. They'll sprinkle in the miracles along the way, the I am's and things like that, and you know, feeding at five times. But we we focus on really, if I'm throwing a bone, the last three years of Jesus' life, but rarely do we talk about the tangibility of the subjectivity and the targeting he would have been part of just because he had on Jewish skin. We, let's just not even make it theological. Practically because he was wrapped in Jewish skin and the Romans were trying to tax out Jewish wealth through the tax collectors and they were dominating culture over the Jewish people. We don't even talk about that. Yeah. We don't talk about the angst he would have had just going out the door. And I go, I know a ton of people who, uh, who need to hear that to understand the Savior understands what they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, And so when you talk about a Jay-Z, Jay-Z spoke to that. I know I I, we I know it. I know the pain. I know the pain of the block. I know the pain of trying to come up. I know the pain of being targeted. I know the pain of. But then as I go forward in my journey, I go, wait wait a second. This 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 Jesus I was taught, he actually knows it. The Jesus I was taught didn't know it, but the real one actually knows it. Yeah. Wow. In in a non in a non existential way, so that's what I'm talking about. Not yeah. in a non, oh man, he understands your soul. And right. I'm going no. He day to day tangibly knows mm. that this skin color can get me in trouble when I walk out the door. Wow, that's, that's in the, that's in the scriptures. I go, yeah. why am I not hearing this until I'm 37? <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, I mean, dude, it might be because, um, I mean. A lot, a lot of, a lot of people might look at the gospel narrative and, and really, like you said, a lot of Western Christianity is Constantinian. So we know that the Romans had a big hand in shaping the narrative after the events of the gospel. But, um, a lot of, a lot of people might look in, 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 in identify more with the, with the Romans, with, with, with the Constantinian culture, as opposed to being able to say what you're being able to say is yeah. no man, like when you leave the house, like you feel as if no, Jesus, Jesus would have walked in my shoes. Like he would have known what it felt like to have people looking at him and questioning him. And he was from a bad part of Israel. Like he was from part of Israel was seen as, you know, nothing good could have come from there. And I'm being honest. So I grew up outside Chicago in a really affluent suburb. I Mm. live in Western North Carolina. I mean, I I went to good schools and like, I, I never, I never experienced that. And I think that that's, in my opinion, reading the book and listening to you talk like that was probably where I was most convicted of like, I need to, and people in my position need to just maybe be quiet and just listen more. Mm. <laughs> you know what mm. I mean? Because it's, just, mm. I can't relate, you know, but yeah. that doesn't mean that it's not true. And so right. when I think about that, that, um, 
that picture you painted, and I've heard you talk about that elsewhere where you're talking to the guy who gave you the name Lumkile, and you were basically mm. saying to him, could it be that you've only seen the chef's knife used to murder? Yeah. What was it about Christ, Christianity um, throughout your life that now, even though you have experienced this tangible suffering that Christ experienced, the, the, yeah. you said about having uh, Jewish skin in a Roman world, Mm-hmm. what was it that allows you to see Jesus for what he really is as, you know, the chef cooking up amazing food with the knife? No, that's a good question. Honestly, the short answer is, and I talk about this in another book, mm-hmm. um, per, not permission, but um, what was it? Confessions of an ex-evangelical. Yeah. Why I left Christianity and started practicing Jesus. Yeah. But I walked away. Like people say, well, what was it? I, 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 searched the scriptures over these 17 years and just saw that what is being taught is not what's being lived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the power wasn't there. I was like, you, you can't theorize power into people and into your life. If you're not living, I don't care how good you are. Yeah. And I just realized that through seminaries and travel and being around just these subcultures, I was like, man, it's no power. Mm-hmm. The, the, intellectualism is there but the power to commit your life to it is not so i walked away from what i would say that subculture and in that walked into the hands of god the father who said now let me show you who my son truly is right and and here's a little note i want to make that I, i studied this in my doctoral studies so one of the things that's always pained me is how could people who, and I'm saying this in air quotes, how could people who know the scriptures, how could people who know, sorry, how could people who know the scriptures and have a relationship with the Lord sell other humans and traffic their children? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I'm not saying that in like, uh, like, Oh man, those those people are fake and condescending. I'm just saying, like, yeah, it's a pain point because I could I go, you cannot read this thing and then be able to sleep at night while you do it. It's just not possible. Like, mm-hmm. there's no gray area between that. And then I started doing digging, looking at Constantine and these beliefs, and and I go, Oh, I see what they had to do. <laughs> they had to make Jesus existential mm-hmm. and not a day-to-day practical savior, because when you do that. You can traffic people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. take their wives, sleep with them. You can actually do that and sleep at night. People say, well, how could you do that? Because if the soul is most important, just like narcissism, yeah. if the soul is most important, then guess what? Mm-hmm. What happens in the body? Ah. Yeah, right. Right. So in my, what, what I discovered in my research, it's like, oh, y'all, y'all had a version of a Christian narcissism at best, but it wasn't a true... Jesus. Mm-hmm. Frederick Douglass would call it a Christianity of the land, but it wasn't a Christianity of Christ. Mm-hmm. The slaves during that time who were believers that were brought over on the boats, they had this term of, no, that's not Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Pacific. So they're saying, no, this is their Jesus, but this is not the real Jesus. And they, and they rejected it. And a, and a lot of people don't realize they were rejecting the true savior. They were rejecting that false savior of the West. Yeah. Right. So that that was always that pain point in me. 
And as I, I, I just like, man, I, I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And so when I walked away from that, I had a friend who lived in Iraq. I went to go see him and we, we, we connected. And over there, I was able to see the kingdom. And yeah. as I say, the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me, I think um, I heard NT, I read NT Wright say somewhere for most Christians, most Western Christians, Jesus could have been born as a virgin lived in a cave for 30 years and then died on the cross, you know, a, a sinless death and paid for our sins because to most Christians, the life of Christ and how he actually lived doesn't really matter. Come he's, on, man. He's just a vessel of Pauline Christianity. Um, and what I'm hearing from you, what I read in the book and when I, you know, right now, man, That's like, good. My, I mean, my heart's stuck on the sermon on the Mount. I'm reading it over and over and over. And what I'm hearing from you is what, the Holy Spirit's been saying to me, which is if like so much of Christianity and especially, especially the last two years of the American church trying to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we address racial tension? How do we address justice? Not just social justice or racial justice, but justice is we're finding out that a lot of us um, were acting like Christians, but not thinking like Christians, like the like Christ hadn't redeemed our mind and how mm-hmm. I viewed you and how I viewed my neighbor and how I viewed my wife. It was just, we had learned how to act like Jesus, but not yeah. think like him. And so hearing you say that really being introduced to, uh, Yeshua, not just of some, fabricated gospel that was existential as you say but actually meeting him just changed everything for you um, yeah 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 and, like that yeah go ahead like the the hebrews just on that point the hebrews uh had this term called a hendiade the hendiade says you can't have one without the other mm-hmm. and and i just realized by god's grace that we like to take the the spiritual part of christ and create a camp I call that evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. And then we like to take the physical part of Christ and we create a camp. I call that all the other Christians. Mm-hmm. But the Hindiety says you can't have the physical Christ separate from the spiritual Christ. That mm-hmm. is Christ. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You can't separate those and then say you're following Christ. And that's what people do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, no, I cannot. It, it, it's first John. I mean, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I cannot yeah. say I hate and treat my brother this way, like treat yeah. my brother this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love God. You yeah. see what I'm saying? That, that is, you're trying to separate the two. No, the tangible has to go with the spirit. The spiritual goes with the tangible. Mm-hmm. And we've allowed that. But what I'm saying is a lot of people don't know that subconsciously the bedrock of their belief system came during a time when the Puritans and the colonists we're trafficking people and they, you have to create another gospel. And people say, well, why do you have to create it? Because you're trying to, you're trying to have shalom when you go to bed. Like the psalmist says, yeah. God sustains me in my sleep. Oh, uh, uh, I'm, I'm actually giving them a bone. I go, <laughs> I don't think somebody can be that dark to traffic and rape people and then sleep at night and say, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm following this thing. No, you have to create a thing to give yourself peace. Mm-hmm. Wow. You, you see, yeah, you yeah. have to. It's like redefining scriptures to justify materialism and mm-hmm. capitalism. And yet mm-hmm. we know a lot of stuff we buy is tied to sweatshops and people sure. committing suicide to fulfill product orders. That's part of what I taught in justice class. So you have to create. You have to redefine stewardship. You have to redefine how you see money. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and the Lord just say, like, no, you follow mammon. Like, don't try to redefine that. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's so funny. Cause like it's, we, we are so good. You, you mentioned like a lot of the, the key things. And even as you were mentioning, like, Hey, we preached the last seven days, we preached the I am statements, we preached the virgin birth. And I'm like, gosh, that's about 50% of maybe what I teach, you know? And it's like, do, why don't we teach Jesus saying, no, you love money. Like, no, you hate your brother. You, you know, like if you hate your brother, you don't, don't go to the altar. Like why, yes. you know, why is it so easy for us to have calluses on our hearts and minds where it's like, Literally, we're posting on Facebook during, you know, what for me was the craziest political season I've ever seen. Oh, uh, wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, and it's like, you know, G, you know, same thing. Like I said, I'm on Matthew five right now. And Jesus says, don't you dare call somebody an idiot. Like he literally yeah. says, don't you dare say Raka. And like, literally, yeah, yeah. we're sharing on Facebook. Hey, this guy's an idiot, you know, and then we're going to the altar. And it's just yeah. like, I mean, it's enough to make you crazy. Do you just feel like, man, do you ever feel like, huh, like crazy man like do you just feel like man nope why even write this book <laughs> you know yeah. it's such a it's such a big hill to climb in all honesty yeah. you know no it is you're right um but and i and i'll say in light of that here's one of the things i've learned have learned in learning like the languages mm. how merciful god is despite our lack of understanding mm. yeah and, and and when i was in evangelicalism we show less mercy to people when they had a lack of understanding. Again, no, these aren't the ways of Christ. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, I go, uh, you know, we talk about the Pharisees. I mean, he was hard on the Pharisees. He was. But the reason he was hard on the Pharisees is because the Pharisees thought they got to a place where they weren't in need. They weren't in need of mercy. They weren't in need of grace. They weren't in need of patience. And they certainly weren't in need of a savior. And I go, mm-hmm. No one should ever get to that place if you are a humble person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So even now, I, I'll be honest, I throw my card on the table. Mm-hmm. I think most conversations that I might have with people, they don't know the original languages. They don't know what words mean. They do a lot of eisegesis. And if we're judging by the American standard, they're very often God shouldn't bless them. That's the American standard. But if I'm judging by Yeshua's standard where he says, you've heard it said, but he says, but I allow the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. It's, it's about mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so even as I'm talking to someone and I go, you do know most of what you follow is very colonized and God isn't blessing you because you're right. He's blessing you because he's merciful. Mm-hmm. I know you think he's blessing you because you're right. I know you think he's blessing your church because you think you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. That's not why he's blessing you. Mm-hmm. He's just merciful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's that humility that I just don't see people live with. And even as they don't live with it, guess what God still does? Yeah. It, be merciful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and one of, I think about that and I think about the, you know, we keep talking about colonization and, and I'm sure yeah. that there are listeners who are still kind of hung up on that, but I just want to press into that and just say like, um, we're not saying you're not saying, especially like Christianity is colonized. You're saying the Christianity that a lot of people know is not the Christianity of Jesus, of Yeshua. Um, what, what, I mean, what kind of, I don't know, man, like to a listener who's maybe like me, you know, like from suburban, uh, neighborhoods where I, I, you know, had friends that were people of color, but I was never forced to experience what 
what they've experienced. Like, mm-hmm. what do you get? What advice do you give to your friends who kind of say, all right, AD, I, I, I'm willing to lean in and say, I, I believe that there's colonization to it, but what steps do you tell them? Like what, what, what kind of things do, do people need to realize and start, start thinking over? Yeah, that's good. I think first, first of all, the, the, I tell people, you only can arrive at what I believe God intended, even through a, a mirror dimly. Paul says that in first Corinthians 12, 13, we look in a mirror dimly. Mm-hmm. We only, you still can only arrive at what he intended. If you have a position of humility and your hands open. Mm-hmm. And what I see is that a lot of people will have their hands closed and they need to be prideful. You got to convince me. I go that that's not how you walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's one, two, you're hearing from a guy where I would say I was fortunate to be around a lot of the best teachers that y'all believe are great from Tom Nelson's Denton Bible Church to the Harrells and um, Dallas Theological Seminary to the Dr. Yeah. Coley's at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people that y'all respect, I've sat under them. And so for me to come out of that wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Right. That's one. Two, you got to ask yourself the question. We always talk about uh, the original language and interpretation, but rarely do we ask this question of transliteration. Transliteration actually comes before translation and interpretation. And transliteration is just fancy to say, okay, what will translate from that language into our language? Mm -hmm. Right. And so here's what's funny. I guess I guess uh, people an easy one that <laughs> is going to confound their minds. If you go read right now, if you go and open your New Testament, well, you know, they call it the Brit Hadashah. If you open your New Testament, <laughs> you go to the book of James. Just go look up. Is that his actual Hebraic name? It's right. not like right, right, yeah. we literally transliterated into mm-hmm. translation. This brother's name, James, his name is Yaakov, y'all. Like, <laughs> it's, I just like, we, we just said, look, we're going to get this man, James. We're not even going to call the man Yaakov. <laughs> I was like, how, how do you just do that? Man? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dang, bro. <laughs> man. You know, that, and, and that's just a. Yeah. That's 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 the easy one. So if if we do that to that, then mm-hmm. how much more, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. David Stern, who's a who is a messianic uh, believer in Christ, he has a Bible that I read from. It's the complete Jewish Bible, mm-hmm. and the reason he did it, he, he, you know, he used to read from like the the ESVs or mm-hmm. NASBs and stuff like that. But as a as a Jewish understanding, he goes, "No, nah, that's not what that meant. No, nah, that's not." He just started finding like yeah. that's not that's not it, and so he, as a labor of love and as a gift and a need, says he asks his question first. He goes, "Okay, let me see who translated." And then he started looking it up, and don't don't be offended, mm-hmm. but he started looking up the names, and he said, "Oh, these are all Gentiles translating this. Mm-hmm. Oh, they this is the best they're gonna do because yeah. they don't have the Jewish lens to understand the revelation of God, and that's why he then came up with a complete Jewish Bible." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we only ask that question, like, is the scriptures I'm reading, do, does it even have people who believe in Christ, who understand the Jewish lens and the context in the translation? Yeah. Most right. of them don't. And right. so I, so in my head, I go, 
that's a problem. That's that's colonialism. That's mm -hmm. Constantine's influence saying we don't need the Jewish lens, culture and customs to understand the revelation that came through the Jewish culture and customs. That is such an oxymoron. Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. But that's what Constantine said. And we just went forward with it and out came the translations. And then you got people like Martin Luther, mm -hmm. God bless him with the 95 Thesis, but he was anti-Semitic. That mm -hmm. contributed to us believing we didn't need the Jewish lens, culture, and context to understand the revelation that came through the Jewish culture, context, and celebration, mm -hmm. right? So in, in my head, if you're listening, you got to humble yourself to say, now if God intended a revelation, and he put that revelation through a culture, custom context. Then in humility, America, <laughs> Europe mm -hmm. wasn't the intended culture, customs and context. He brought it yeah. through. Yeah. So what am I missing? If you cannot ask that base question, you won't get to where I believe God intends. I believe God intends us all to get. And even if you don't give up, get there, I'm be honest with you. He's merciful. Yeah, right. Well, and, and I mean, he, he has to be because even even the ones who are trying are still stumbling because I feel like I'm stumbling exactly. all the time. But no, for um, real, yeah. But one of the most shocking moments of the book um, for me, just because mm -hmm. of how books normally go um, is yeah. normally they take a long time to, to write. And in the middle yeah. of the book, you drop this bomb that it was actually during the writing of the book that um, the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna yeah. Taylor and George Floyd all yeah. happened in the. The writing of the book and you were able to add that in yeah, as, yeah. as i mentioned before i was reading a, a preview copy so I, yeah. I imagine that'll be in the the final edition yeah, and, um, the center. yeah and and then you go on to talk about um how you have had to learn to process your own trauma but then also the struggles and trauma of being a person of color in a culture where you are a vast minority and you even meant I heard, i've heard you mention somewhere else that you've said in the united states um you know, African-Americans are the only culture that don't don't maintain any of their like original language, yeah. uh, don't retain, maintain much of their original culture and, and mm -hmm. didn't, came here with no land, no possessions and how that mm -hmm. has marked um, the culture. And so mm -hmm. you you talking about this trauma, say that your ancestors going back to the slave trade have known mm -hmm. nothing but internalizing terror heaped upon them in the inability to process their humanity. And I mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that you have this fantastic ability to reference culture and reference music. And, and that's one of the beauties of, you know, bringing in someone uh, like, like Jay-Z or Lauren Hill. And you said, just mm -hmm. as in Lauren Hill's song, I believe we all quote, live in theory, trying to turn stones into bread and mask mm -hmm. like we have it figured out. Yeah. Walk me through what it means for you looking at the trauma that you personally have dealt with. Yeah. Um, walking at the trauma that you say, you know, Yeshua, Jesus would have dealt with. And then that phrase, trying to turn stones into bread and what that means to you and to someone who would hear that song or or read your book and why that might jump out to somebody. Yeah. So um, the trauma I, I dealt with, Yeshua dealt with. And then that, that Adam lives in theory. Mm. Um, I, I would say that the historical trauma that comes my way through my people is not having a, a legal ability to process the hurts and the pain. Easy one, slavery, you're picking cotton. You don't get to say you're tired. You got. You don't get to say, hey, stop. Why are you with me? No, you get whipped. You got to pick more cotton unless you die. You don't get to say, hey, it hurt when my baby was taken away or when my, my guy got castrated or so. 
you don't get to process that. You don't get to sit down and go like, ah, oh, man, that hurts my soul. No, you got to internalize it and endure and try to make it. That is our people group. You don't get to talk about the fact that you, you, you know, your ancestors spoke this language and now your tongue is so colonized that you got to train your tongue to even make the clicks and the sounds and the things like that, right? That like the tongue is even colonized, right? Um, your name is colonized. Even my, my name, Adam David Thomason, my mom will say, I gave you Adam David because, now listen to this trauma, because I, I, I did not want the, the person who would interview you for a job to know that you're black. I would want them to think that you're white. So that's why I named you Adam, right? That's trauma. <laughs> you know, my mom is naming me out of trauma, <laughs> not, not out of a biblical. You know what? This is what I want my son to be. Even if you look at my name, <laughs> even if you look up my name, it just means dirt of the of the earth. <laughs> right, like, yeah. You know, or, or you, you can throw like it means red or passion, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. But I was like, come on, mom. You know, but <laughs> but but <laughs> that's yeah. trauma, right? Yeah. So you so you got that trauma that you had a trauma uh of Christ, like. You know, Christ, again, tangibly with that day-to-day subjection, he would have known that. He would have known a disdain from the Romans and how they would have saw him. Um, and then he also, a lot of people don't know this, Joseph, if you know Jewish narrative and writing, when you don't see the father in there and you saw the father prominent, it means that the father died. Mm-hmm. And so if you look it up, a lot of scholars believe that Joseph died early in Christ's life, probably between the age of 13, 14. So you talk about in the, in the key time of Christ's life that he's taking care of his mother, who's a widow. He's taking care of his siblings. Right. Which he had a lot of. Them. Yeah. And he's tangibly fatherless. Mm-hmm. So when Christ prays to God, the father, this is not just a, a existential thing. Right. He needs him to be present in his life as well, because he don't have this physical um, yeah. father in his life. Yeah. Man. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, it was such a powerful thing reading through that section, reading through, you know, and you just perfectly explained it for the listener who hasn't read the book yet. But, but the idea that you, you know, everybody goes through something that yeah. other people can't see, but collectively there is a whole group of people in our culture and the, and really globally um, who are part of the diaspora, as you uh, often point to the dispersed people who were taken from their homeland and, and now are, are having to deal with the consequences of that. And mm-hmm. then th- towards the end of the book, you have this section that you call the mastermind. Mm-hmm. And um, it really talks about Satan and evil and spiritual warfare. And, and you didn't, you know, I don't, I don't know that at any point you call it spiritual warfare, but for a lot of listeners, that's going to be kind of what they would know it by. But, but you, you, yeah. in, in talking about Satan and talking about his role in so much of the hate and trauma and experiences that not, that not only you have had, but so many people have had, you yeah. said Satan is not merely a force trying to affect our spiritual disposition. He wants to ruin us at the deepest level. Um, and, and you said Satan uses your past traumas and wounds to convince you your future will be no better. Um, mm. you know, as you're, you know, going out and promoting the book, you're, you're, you've written the book. I, I hope and pray that you continue to write and do all these things. But like what role in the churches and in, in not just America, but all over the world. But like what role does prayer and interceding on one another's behalf um, have in seeing 
the evil of racism and social injustice and racial injustice uh, play. Because when I'm reading the book, I honestly felt like, man, one of, I mean, I hate that sometimes we say the only thing we can do is pray as if it's like the last resort, but I genuinely Ooh. felt at times like, man, I just need to pray that God would open my eyes to see some of this better and pray that I would be receptive to voices like yours. And so what's your encouragement to Christians who are saying, man, this feels like spiritual warfare and I don't know what to do. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, kind of like, you know, piggybacking off your second question to this one, you know, Satan wanted Christ to prove himself, right. Turn stones into bread. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, that was right after the spirit descended upon Christ mm -hmm. and God then affirmed, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now we don't have anything before that other than Christ saying, don't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business. Mm -hmm. That's at 12. So 12, let's just say it's 33. Some people may say 36. Right. It's 20 plus years, yeah. right? Yeah. So he's a grown you man. Get, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Got a gap between 12 and his 30s. And the only thing we know that he knows is the spirit happening, happening during this baptism. Mm. So we don't even ask the question, but that's a good question to ask. So what happens between those other 20 years? Maybe it's just Silas. Maybe he's just taking care of his mom and his, his siblings, right? Mm -hmm. And in those 20s, like, yo, am I? Is it? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and because we, we just thought, oh, yeah, the spirit came down and I, this is who my boy will play. We just see it kind of yeah. like this fairy tale where we don't tangibly think through it. Like, the God the Father wanted him to be affirmed and him to know and John the Baptist to know. Like, this needed to happen because other people were saying that they were saviors and miracle workers. I am the same. Like, this is all happening. He goes, no, this is the one. So, right after this is the one, after 20 years of, let's just say proposed silence, this dove, he goes, get baptized. This dove happens. The spirit takes him out into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. He don't even get to bask in it. You know, he don't get to say, like, okay, it's clear. Let me go read some more things. Let me get stronger. My wisdom and stature is like, I got to go get tested. Right. Right. <laughs> after, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. dang. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so. You know, yeah, yeah. I, and I say all that is in the first thing Satan comes with is prove yourself. And so I, I, I feel like in many cases, like, you know, minorities do it to each other. You know, black folks do it to white folks, white folks do it to black folks. We do it around the clock. We become the accuser to one another, say, like, prove it, prove your theology, prove your blackness, prove your your whiteness that understands the black church prove it turn these stones into bread mm -hmm. right and, and that's why it's like we had this masquerade like we got it all figured out yeah and, and, and guess what guess what yeshua does not do he does not quote the entire bible mm -hmm. he just says you know what you ain't supposed to live by bread alone and sometimes we just need to say you know what this is all that i know that applies in this yeah yeah <laughs> you see what i'm saying yeah. mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. but sometimes i feel like we we want to put on more airs and i believe when we do that the enemy wins mm -hmm. so when you talk about quote-unquote spiritual warfare man i i always go to the last prayer in john 17 the priestly prayer um I'm like, man, he could have prayed for anything, but he asked 
for us to be kept while we're in this world. And he also asked that we would be one. Now, if you don't understand the reasons where the disciples came from, those 12, that oneness, you're going to make that existential. But if you look at the, the Sadducees, Pharisees, the, the Essenes, the Herodians, and then the Zealots, the disciples came from one of those five groups. Mm. And if you know anything about those five groups, you take away Christ, those five groups would not deal with each other. Yeah, they hate each other, <laughs> kill each other sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, mm. to, again, tangibly, Christ knows I'm about to leave. Lord, I need you to keep them. Mm. Wow. You see what I'm saying? And and I and I and I still see it right now that we're scattered amongst our five groups. And I feel like the Lord's the Lord is still saying, I need y'all to be one. That was my initial prayer. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Right. And so so to me, I feel like Satan sometimes like, ah oh, man, it's easy just to, <laughs> to divide them. They they easy. Yeah. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. they, they, they only see, as Paul said, they only see merely human things. They only, they always go with what they see. Mm-hmm. They don't discern anything. The stomachs are their God. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, these, these people easy to divide. Wow. Yeah. That's what I would say. I'm just like, you got to see three to four levels down that what you're dealing with before you mm-hmm. isn't the true war. Wow. Yeah. Uh, dude, I mean, <clears throat> For me and 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 for listeners who are hearing that and are you know simultaneously convicted and encouraged, which is is always the best feeling. But um, is I think part of the process for some people is realizing that those divisions exist, um, that they're not of God, that they're mm-hmm. of man. But li- beginning to listen to the prophetic voices from some of the other groups, and that's mm-hmm. why I think you are so timely and so valuable oh, to the church because even just reading the book and this conversation has been uh you know like like drinking a cool drink of water for me because listening to you makes me realize how much of my understanding is is only my understanding and is and is mm. shaped by my own experiences and part of thinking like a christian part of thinking like christ is listening you know, and, 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 and listening to your experiences, taking your word for it, which I think doesn't happen enough in our culture is that like, Hey, here's AD. And he says, this is going on. So I don't know. I don't care what, mm-hmm. what, what news show said this or, or what one person said this, but like, here's a man who who's just as saved as anybody else. And here he is saying, this is what's going on and we need to listen. And so, um, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the book and for listeners who've followed along and say, I got to get to know this guy better. Go to the show notes, go to the listeners, the listening notes and everything and go follow him on social media, but, but really go buy the book. I think it's a, it's a fantastic, um, it's a fantastic example of just like more people need to listen. And, uh, and yeah, man, I think your voice is prophetic and I think that, uh, it's very powerful. So I, I'm not only appreciative of, of your time for, for this episode, but also just, you know, what you're doing in the world. And I just pray that the Lord continues to bless you and keep you and, and multiply your influence. Cause I think you're using it for his, gl- for, for his glory and not yours. So, so thank, thank, you. thank you so much, brother. I'm, I'm very appreciative. No, oh, praise God. Like really bless him. Cause it, it has been a lot of not trying not to grow weary and well doing, I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. You know, like 
you know, just for the listeners, one one thing I was trying to communicate in, in another interview is we had this we had this this understanding. W. E. B. Du Bois says this in his in his book uh, Souls of Black Folk that black folks have to live this double consciousness. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear things where a lot of black families will say, and I got this speech, and I've said it to my sons, uh, my son and my daughters. But we have to live with this mentality. Hey, you got to be ten times as better to get the equal opportunity of the majority culture, white culture. Now, I want you to hear how traumatic that is, that it is normal for us to have to work 10 times to get the equal. There's a phrase called John Henryism. John Henry is a, is a based on a real black man who had to take on this machine mm-hmm. and he had to beat the machine to keep his job. Story yeah. says that he beat the machine, but he died afterwards because he endured so much trauma. Now, if black folks r- believe and the standards are that they have to work 10 times is hard. Just think what that's doing to their mentality, to their bodies. And I'm saying this, y'all, if you listen to me and I'm saying this to you, mm-hmm. it was no different in the church. I have to I have to consider my dress 10 times all the more to make white folks feel safe. I have to consider my tone, my hair, my stature. These are conversations, not things I'm projecting. These are conversations that I've had. That is that is trauma Mm -hmm. when someone has to live in base level, two different lives. But they're supposed to be able to live the one life in what we call God's family. That's called trauma. That's a problem. Yeah. Right. So what the reason why I say, you know, trying not to grow weary and well doing is because that's the legacy, man, that black folks come from is, you know, from the, the no matter where you stand. But, you know, the Martin Luther King, Malcolm X's, the uh, Madam C.J. Walker's or the Ida B. Wells and the people like that, they've always had to work extra just to get base level, Jackie Robinson's and the people like that. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be with God's people. Yeah. Mm. Right. So I do hope that God puts fuel on this because I believe it's his revelation, not mine. I believe he chose me as a vessel to, to literally to be a conduit through it. And he could have chose anybody. And so I do hope that God, I hope I'll be breathed on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot. So. And I do, I, I, I definitely join in that. I hope he does. And I believe he is going to, I believe he has. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, when, when the book showed up in my mail, I didn't realize it was going to be as powerful as it was. And so I'm thankful uh-huh. that I'm thankful that it did. And so, like I said, um, so appreciative of you brother. And hopefully this isn't the last time that you and I get to cross paths. Yeah. Likewise, man. I, I thank you for engaging it, reading it and uh, yeah, having me on like really. Oh, well, thank you, brother.